Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show Week 13 Recap. I am Patrick Darty, joined off the jump by Mr. Denny Carter. We're going to break down the entire Week 13 Sunday slate, beginning with the Lions outlasting the Saints, segueing into the Bucks outlasting the Panthers, the Cardinals outlasting the Rain, and Pittsburgh, where they surprisingly demolished the Steelers 24-10. But we will begin in New Orleans, Denny, where the Saints just looked like this whole era of New Orleans football was over early on. The Lions got out to a huge early lead. The Saints came storming back. They still did not win. Derek Carr got injured along the way. Just seemed like a really strange game from afar, a game I didn't catch any of. Just where to even begin with this 33-28 yeah. to 28 Lions victory? Yeah, I'll get into the Carr thing in a second. Mostly, this was Sam Laporta season, and it actually makes a lot of sense. If we retroactively analyze this game, we can see that the Saints give up the highest target share to guys running from the slot. And Sam Laporta runs a lot of slot routes along with Amon Amon Ross St. Brown. St. Brown had only two catches on the day, but one of them was a 25-yard touchdown. So he kind of got away with it. But yeah, Laporta, 41% target share uh, on on the day, uh, nine catches for 140 yards, and one of Jared Goff's uh, two touchdowns uh, against Saints. Uh, so really, really good stuff from him. Uh, on the on the Saints side, it was kind of a mess because you had the car injury. He injured his back, his shoulder, and his head uh, on one hit, and it was a brutal hit. It was a brutal hit. It was the guy. It was an old school, like '80s type pick up the quarterback and drill him Ooh. into the depths of the earth type of hit. The kind that's now only legal in YouTube compilations. <laughs> yes, yeah, I haven't seen that in probably like two decades. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it yikes. was shocking. It was shocking. And uh, so then James, uh, James Winston came in and was uh, as good as he was last time he came in for car. He was that bad. I mean, he was <laughs> horrific. I didn't know where you were going with that. I just, I just assumed he was good again. <laughs> no, no, it was terrible. Like, 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 <laughs> wow. like, like actually like unfathomable, throws over and over uh wow. his best his best throw was a 30-yard completion to chris Olave, which actually was thrown directly at the face of a lion safety okay <laughs> wow this is why and we it, have people on to break down the box yeah here. and it was tipped in the air and Olave caught it Olave goes for 100 yards i don't know how because he was not part of the game at all but he goes for 100 yards uh in this one because he's the only game in town because michael thomas is out rashid shaheed is out um it's him and A.T. Perry, uh, the tire salesman, 
I just, oh, come on. It just always sounds to me. A.T. Perry. It actually kind of you know, does. I feel, I feel like if I want to get my tires, you know, I go to A.T. Perry. Um, or it sounds like someone who won the U.S. Open golf looked like three times in the 1930s. <laughs> A.T. Perry. I don't remember. Because, yeah, you know, like the final Sunday at the U.S. Open, NBC puts up a graphic. Yeah. He's trying to surpass A.T. Perry for the fourth most U.S. Open wins. I'm like, who the hell? Right, right. We all remember A.T. Perry winning at Shinnecock Hills. Of course. Yeah, back in 1932. But we digress. Anyway, let's let's get on from there. Uh, but yeah, the, the the story again, and I and I take great pleasure reporting this is Taysom Hill, yeah. uh, thir- thirteen rushing attempts uh, to fourteen rushing attempts for Alvin Kamara, and Taysom ran cold in this one. Uh, he missed out on two goal line touchdowns from by about a combined two inches, uh, so it could have been a much bigger day. He had fifty nine yards and one rushing touchdown. On the day that it could have been three is what I'm saying. Um, Alvin Kamara ended up with two short rushing touchdowns because he came in shockingly. Honestly, he came in and he vultured the touchdown from Taysom Hill. And I'm oh. I'm not upset about it. you're saying people are saying Denny's upset about it. I'm not upset. <laughs> it's, it's quite the role reversal because we've now just become used to. Well, Taysom Hill is doing the one thing he does, and that is yeah. true. The people we actually care about in fantasy, but. Uh, but here's the thing: I only care about Taysom Hill in fantasy. So Taysom um, Hill was weird. He felt like kind of a week thirteen free space. I thought he might catch a few more passes, but he did not do that at all. No, uh, he, he did two for fifteen. But the other ground, he just cannot be stopped. Yeah, and, but he really is like a huge. Unless game script gets out of control, he he is really a part of this red zone offense. He is the main part. He is the central part of this red zone offense. Mm-hmm. Juwan Johnson, the other tight end, had a really rough day. Didn't catch a pass. Had two brutal Oof. drops. Uh, di- didn't you know? He just didn't seem like he really wanted to be there. I don't know. The body language was not right with him. Jimmy Graham caught a Damn. touchdown. You know, which is great. Not again. The, the only that, only nineties kids will remember the course. things that don't make me mad are Jimmy Graham catching a touchdown <laughs> and Alvin Kamara vulturing Taysom for two. But uh, yeah, so it was it was kind of a weird fantasy uh, game because Amon Ra didn't have a big day, Golf didn't have a big day, Montgomery and uh, and Gibbs did not have big days. Only guy who had a real big day was Laporta in this very high scoring game. Yeah, just looking at the box. By the way, Lynn Bowden three touches for negative one yards. So oh, he did not continue getting away with it. But yeah, it looked like a lot of some face saving on the Lions side. Basically, were. Demont saves some face for the touchdown. Yeah. Monron, really atypical down game for himself, uh, saved his fantasy day with the touchdown. Jameer Gibbs did not, though, save his day with the touchdown. And the Saints side, I guess Chris Olave maybe kind of saved his day with that 30 yard catch late to yes. get him over 100. Pretty decent PPR day. But yeah, if you told me there was going to be, what, what is 61 points in the Superdome, I would have been like, all right, this, yeah. is, this is the good stuff. Yes. Um, this is going to be exactly. amazing. Yeah, it's not a particularly appealing box score, and it was not particularly appealing appealing to hear you talking about it. No, it was <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It <laughs> was uh, it was very spread out, and and I do want to mention on, on the Detroit backfield, uh, David Montgomery eighteen carries to only eight for Jameer Gibbs. Uh, neither of them oh did a whole lot. Although I should say, I mean, Gibbs averaged seven and a half yards per carry, so he actually did a lot with his his little opportunity. Montgomery kind of grinded away, but got the touchdown. They both ran 12 pass routes on the day. They both saw two targets. Uh, so it was a little, I think it was a little bit discouraging for Gibbs and, and, and this idea, at least that I headed into this game with this idea that 
Gibbs is kind of on the verge of like being the clear lead back, but that, that was not the case today. And I guess we can't really project that going forward. I think maybe the Lions defensive struggles are spilling over on offense a little bit. They're just not dictating like the pace and tempo of games anymore. And maybe there's kind of starting to panic and like the, the Jameer Gibbs stuff was like really like future facing and like, yeah, we're actually going to feature our explosive back. Like, what do you think of that? <laughs> and then they allowed 30, they 38 points to the chargers, 26 points to the bears, almost lost both those games. Then did lose to the Packers, almost lost to the saints. All this after their bye. Like they, whatever they did during their bye week did not work. No, Lions. They no, they've been it. real bad since the bye. It's weird. They're three and one. So I'm feeling like, well, <laughs> uh, next. I thought wins and losses the only thing that mattered. They are three and one since their bye, but it's been kind of like a like a five alarm warning since the bye. Uh, the, the schedule stays really soft though. They're playing the Bears somehow again in week 14. Then the Broncos. That'd be a really telling game against the Broncos for the Lions. So uh, it think- hasn't fallen. Sorry, you go, Denny. Yeah, I no, those are two two uh you know, probably probably decent games for the offense for the Lions, but I, I will say that we have to keep in mind how run heavy this Detroit team wants to be. They really want to hide Jared Goff. I mean, Goff until like a few minutes left in the fourth quarter only had 20 pass attempts. Um so I, I think that that's that's what they that's what they want. That's what they want to do. And and that means that Gibbs and Montgomery should be fine most weeks. And it, it also it also means I really do think it means that Amon Ross St. Brown yeah, kind of lacks that ceiling because we you know that we, he's not gonna have a volume-based ceiling. Let's put it that way. He well, I don't know. It's weird though. He does have a volume-based floor. He does. He's, he's been somewhere with the floor and ceiling. There hasn't been a lot of difference, but like the floor has just been astronomically high. It, it's been and, good. I think do I just see them maybe going into like circle the wagons mode on offense and is recommitting to like the few things they know for sure works. A- ARSB is one of those, and then I guess they probably think Demont is one of those. Right. Um, there's weird. They're a team. Where I, I'm a little worried about the defensive struggles spilling over on offense, but whatever. They got the win. They did get us a few fantasy points on Sunday. Uh, just something to keep an eye on. Bucks twenty one, Panthers eighteen. I mean, I don't know. Mike Evans' uh, dog levels remain extremely high. Yeah. 1,000 1, yards from, I believe, the 10th straight season. Is that yeah. correct, Denny? That's right. Uh, Bryce Young, this, playing the pass funnel bucks, and he was 15 of 31 for a scoreless 178 yards, an interception. Chuba has a big day. I just broke down the box score. What was going on yeah. beyond the box score? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the the, comment, the commentators – we're talking about how Bryce Young basically can't make a downfield throw from the pocket because he can't really see over the linemen. And I wish you were kidding, but I saw people tweeting about this. Like, yeah, and 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 that and that's true. I mean, I, I I have you know, contrary to popular belief, I actually have watched some Bryce Young this year, <laughs> and and I, I believe that when he gets outside the pocket and he can he can look downfield. You know his arm strength is like reasonable. Like he's not he's not like uh, like a Chad Pennington type. You know, <laughs> but 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 in the pocket, it's just, that's just not happening. And you saw that again and again and again. It looked like the Bucks were trying to keep him in the pocket so that he had no choice but to just dump it off to his running backs and his uh, you know short area targets. So um, you know the, the 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 Panthers did what they could to attack sort of the middle of the Bucks defense because the Bucks have some key defenders out including leonte david 
uh, and uh, Chuba Hubbard ends up with 25 rushing attempts, so a workmanlike uh, 25 rushing rushing attempts. Uh, Sanders, Miles Sanders, only has eight. So Hubbard goes over the hundred yard mark. Um, he scores twice, both in the in in the green zone. He gets basically zero passing game work. Uh, Miles Sanders takes all of that, but he, I, I do think it's good. You know, it was a good indicator that whatever coaching staff was, you know, is remaining after yeah, I, I legit don't even know. Like, yeah. The I mean, at, after the, the house cleaning that happened earlier this week in, in Carolina, may, you know, maybe there were the remnants of the coaching staff are like, we're just going to run the ball. Like, that's just what we're going to. And this is the second year in a row that that's happened, by the way, where the, the, the previous interim uh, staff last year was like, we're going to give Chuba Hubbard 25 carries a game, no matter what. So In the words of Kyle Dvorak, they went giga ultra run heavy. <laughs> and yeah, we'll probably just do the same thing. Yeah. I, so I, I actually do think that that's in the cards uh, for those who have Hubbard and have, haven't really known what to do with him. I have him on a team. I, I, I I'm just always like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll play him. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but, but if he, you know, if he sees this kind of volume, <laughs> Uh, then, then, you know, he could, he could, he should be an RB too, just based on, on that. Um, the, the Adam Thielen PPR scam is Jover. Oh, uh, completely. so bad for me. Four. I never wanted it. To, I never wanted it to begin, but then I, I needed it. Then <laughs> after I kind of bumbled into it and you got months. hooked on it, <laughs> yeah, I got hooked on the easy PPR fix. I it was know, so they, easy and so fun, but it's no more, it's no longer fun. Uh, Jonathan Mingo, who made maybe the worst attempted catch in the history of the game last week, uh, led the team with 10 targets today. Wow. Did he really? Uh, yeah, six catches for 69 yards. Uh, it, he, he probably, um, you know, obviously I'll look at it on Monday. I would guess that Jonathan Mingo had 180 uh, air yards uh, and ends up with uh, less than 70 real yards. So, uh man it's just bleak that parent that panthers offense is so bleak uh so not much to see there uh and, you know real quick before you yeah. get into the bucks no no let up in sight for the panthers they're at new orleans versus oh, the falcons yeah. versus the packers pretty tough pass defense at the jaguars they end the season then against the bucks i i just don't see where the hope comes from i don't even know what the plan should be to try to develop bryce young it, it's 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 bad with the potential to get worse somehow these final five games. I agree. Sorry, on the Buck side, what did you see, Denny? Yeah, Buck side, uh, you know, Chris Godwin was was iffy coming into the game. I wouldn't be surprised if his routes were actually down. Uh, I'm actually hoping that they – oh, yeah, they, they did update that. Um, if you can hold on one second, I can tell yeah. you. Well, he because ran Denny, a- he zero-balled on three targets. Yeah, kind of but actually he was down. out there, Pat. He was out there, 29 routes run on 32 dropbacks. So, woof, that's not good. No. Uh, led the team in routes, but uh, you, you don't get points for that, unfortunately. Um, yeah, uh, Mike Evans dominates uh, targets 41 or 42% target share, I forget which. Uh, he, he catches seven, seven of 12 targets. For 162 yards, including a 75-yard touchdown, and honestly, this guy—I mean, either like this is like a real, real deal tryout for the Chiefs or whatever for next year, <laughs> or or he or they—he is so motivated, it's crazy. Like he—he's trying to like put this team on his back and get into the postseason, and they could in the NFC South, they could actually do it. They could get a home game in the playoffs. Man. man. That is absolutely so, crazy. He's 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 insanely motivated, and he is the only person Baker Mayfield looks toward. Baker Mayfield, by the way, in this game, 
one of the worst throws you'll see if you watch football for the next 25 years. Wow. Uh, really? I, I need to look this up. <laughs> falling backward. Uh, basically just throws like, you know, the game 500 where you throw it up and you say 200. Uh, no, I know. Oh, I'm, man, I'm sure well, I shouldn't. But we I play that in the mid-Atlantic region. Uh, and, uh, you know, so he basically just th- threw it straight up into the air uh, to toward Mike Evans. There were, there was triple coverage and you won't believe this. It was picked off. Uh, so he missed Mike Evans. I'm, I, I, I swear uh, d- decent quarterback play. And Mike Evans has 200 plus yards in this game. So I need to look that up. You win a game of 500, then you get a crate of old Bay seasoning. That's <laughs> what you're saying. And then you could, you dive directly into the crate. Actually. There you go. Yeah. You just dive directly into the rub. Um, I'm sure people are after the podcast tell me it's also a Midwest game and I somehow it probably just has some like different regional name here. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, you're talking about Skyfall. <laughs> you're, you're talking about knife fight. Why is it called knife fight? <laughs> By the way, Chris Godwin one time in his past five games has cleared 50 yards and it was 54 against yeah. the Titans. He hasn't cleared 70 yards since October 15th it's cleared 100 yards one time all season but you want to know something though the the folks who started Chris Godwin they got a 19 yard rushing touchdown today wait so, are you serious I'm dead serious oh my gosh so that talk about a face saver that's that's way more face saving than the Amon Ra touchdown or the David Montgomery yeah touchdown. it's uh it was quite quite the thing to to witness him being completely uninvolved and then get that end around for a for a score uh, in the backfield, Rashad White dominates as usual because there are no other decent Bucks running backs. Um, he wasn't good, uh, 84 yards on 20 carries, but his his long his, <laughs> his long run of the day came on the second to last play. It was garbage time, and he broke through the line. You know how it happens late in games, and and he he runs for 30 yards and then slides down in bounds to, to oh, end the game. Basically, come on, man. So b- besides that, R- Rashad White didn't have anything going. He punched in a short touchdown in the first quarter. Oof, it was not not great though for Rashad White. Not great for Rashad White. Not great for the Pittsburgh Steelers in my game, didn't he? Really kind of an inexplicable game, a 24 to 10 Cardinals victory. It was one of those really, really weird games, though, where there were two separate weather delays. I've been doing this a long time, and it's always when you're in like the blurb game, there's nothing worse than a oh. weather delay. <laughs> it's just the ultimate. Well, my life is ruined. <laughs> and, and there were two of them. Yeah. And this game, it was really disjointed when they were playing. It was somewhat like the hardest rain. The announcers like, you'll never see rain this hard. And they were mm-hmm. like being serious. Kevin Harlan was just marveling at the rain. Uh, so there were extenuating circumstances, including Kenny Pickett departing late in the first half after, after aggravating the ankle injury he was battling mm-hmm. coming into the game. But they were already losing um, 17 to 3. Or no, they were still only down 10 to 3, excuse me, when Kenny Pickett came out. But the Cardinals were dictating the pace and tempo of this game. The Steelers couldn't get anything going. And yeah, it just now they're on a short week against the Patriots, who mm-hmm. as much of a laughing stock as, as the Patriots have become, they've had three straight games of allowing 10 or fewer points. And it, it come, this is not a joke. The Patriots are the first team since the 1938 Chicago Cardinals to lose three straight games and allowing 10 or fewer points. Mm. Um, so just not happening for the Steelers. The Cardinals. You look at the Cardinals box score, you'd have no idea how they got 24 points. I, I don't I don't understand. I'm looking at it. You have nine targets for Trey McBride, basically nothing else for any anyone else. Yeah, Marquise Brown, one target on 20 routes. What's going on? There wasn't even it was only one Steelers turnover, too. So it wasn't even like a field position thing. It was the Cardinals drives that did score uh scored. And like they got all their stats 
like their three or four scoring drives. And then it's a lot of three and outs on the other drives where the, the Steelers, the play volume is about the same. It was just everything about this game was weird with the injuries, a lot of injuries on both sides. Deontay Johnson went out with something at one point, but he came back. Marquise Brown was barely playing through his heel injury and he quote zero ball. They ever like this keeps stealing everything Kyle Dvorak. So he's introducing too much stuff <laughs> into my lexicon, but <laughs> only the second catchless outing of Marquise Brown's career. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, of course, Kenny Pickett gets hurt. Just no flow to this game. And I don't, I don't know. It's yeah. a strange so, game. So I, I did have, okay, here are my, my, my questions for this game. Uh, first of all, it, it seemed to be really run heavy for Arizona. 67 offensive snaps, only 27 dropbacks. Um, Greg Dortch led the team with uh, in, in routes run, followed by Rondell Moore and Marquise Brown. Uh, like I said, Trey McBride dominates 50% target share for Trey McBride. Uh, what, a, what a wonky game uh, th- this was. What, did Kyler run a lot? What, what happened? No, Kyler, well, he ran, I think, like eight or nine times for about, only about 20 yards, though. He did not find the end zone. Real quick with the receivers, Greg Dortch, only had one catch, but he mossed Joey Porter Jr. Like a really critical second half, third down conversion. And Rondale Moore in this game, brutal, brutal drop. on What have been a really long gain in the yeah. first half. Yeah. Greg Dorch just seems to be ahead of Rondale Moore at this point. Uh, this is not happening for Rondale Moore. No, it's not. And they're no. going on bye this week too, and then they come back against the 49ers. That's another thing about these Cardinals there's no point in even playing the Greg Dortch or Rondale Moore game because they're on by and they're coming back with all 32 teams active and playing the 49ers. So they're just going to get fiascoed basically. And oh. the Cardinals, yeah, really rainy conditions. It was a revenge game, of course, for James Conner. Right. And the Steelers run defense kind of soft and they just rode James Conner. Like I said, they had a lot of go nowhere drives, but unlike the Steelers, they had a few that they actually finished with scores. And that was really as simple as that, that, uh, not very many productive drives in this game. The Cardinals just happened to have more more of them than the Steelers did. It, it kind of shocking, you know. I, I wrote in the final defense report this week that the Steelers really had a great run based matchup against Arizona. Uh, Arizona, one of the most extreme run funnels, and and they really couldn't establish it. Uh, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren were shut down. It looks like Najee Harris. Uh, easily ran more routes than Warren and saw more, saw one more target than, than Warren. I, so I suppose Warren, I suppose, yeah, Warren is still the RB two here and they just couldn't get the run game going. I think the initial snap counts had Najee around 60% to 40% for Jalen Warren too. And Jalen Warren only one catch for negative four yards. He was more efficient on the ground. He had nine carries for 59 yards. His, his long game was eight, only quote, only 18. He had a lot of like, like eight or 10 type yard gains, but yeah, Najee out-touched him, he out-produced him, he out-snapped him, he out-routed him, even like you said. And oh, wow. I don't, I don't, I don't know why they ever bothered to like announce Jalen Warren was like the guy. And quite literally, nothing changed. And Najee's been totally fine. And uh, too, this like the kind of overall lack of production there. Thirty-one carries for one hundred and thirty yards, not a disaster day. Just yeah, in addition to dealing with the weather, the Steelers had to deal with the quarterback injury, and just the the, temp, this, the rhythm. Nowhere to be found for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. Yeah, it looks like, and just to follow up on Pat Fryermuth's enormous week 12 outing, uh, he ran a route on 20 of 31 dropbacks. He's only saw three 
targets. I, I don't have his receptions up here, but it seems like a pretty muted day for Fryermuth. It was three for 29. ESPN has him with five targets. It was in the four to five range. Sometimes those change huh, okay. after the fact. But no one drew more than five targets for the Steelers. Another thing where the pass volume was limited, 27 total attempts. Uh, they, were, they were not taking to the skies in this game, even though the Cardinals are not great against the pass either. George Pickens did have four for 86. 38 of that came on a really long gain on the opening drive. That seemed like maybe like the, oh man, like the post-Matt Canada stuff is real. Yeah, I was I was very excited for, for that situation. Although it also may have been like, I know we, we know you're unhappy, George, so here's a, here's a long ball. Boy, they seemed really unhappy, by the way. Deontay Johnson had like one of the most depressing touchdown celebrations. <laughs> there was like four and a half minutes left. And he scored to make it 24 of 10. And he went through a really elaborate celebration. Oh, really, but he seemed oh. very sad the whole time. It was really weird. It was, oh. really weird. It was like it was like that TikTok of the girl crying. It kind of him. was. It really kind of was like the TikTok girl <laughs> dancing and crying. It's a little bit how the, the Deontay That's Johnson. So good. Yeah, that was kind of a highlight slash. You got to respect Deontay for going through with it anyway. You, you got plans. You know. Yeah, you gotta. gotta you gotta follow through. But uh, we follow through in recapping these games. Well, that does it for us, Denny. Uh, we'll be we'll talk later this week. All right. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are now joined by Mr. Kyle Dvorak, who had the Colts beating the Titans 31 to 28, a very weird game with blocked punts, missed kicks. Uh, then the Falcons, whatever this was, I don't even know what you call the Falcons 13 to 8 win over the Jets. Uh, very, very bleak, dismal football. And then uh, somehow I had an even more bleak, dismal game. The Chargers beating the Patriots 6 to nothing. They threw it back to 1932. It's like one of those games where it's like newsreel footage of the quarterback making a jump pass that's picked off at the goal line. I'm like the deciding play of the game. Uh, that's kind of what was going on in Chargers Patriots. But we'll begin with Colts uh, 31, Titans 28. A lot of points. Kyle, but you inform me, still not a good game. Uh, I, I thought didn't, didn't feel great. Uh, and I didn't even play play the chalk this week with Zach Moss. He was like, I, to my knowledge, maybe I'm wrong about this, but at least in the past few years, the most popular a player has been in the Millie Maker, and I'm sure pretty much every like every contest in any format, whether it's the large field, small field, high stakes, whatever, it's like 65% in the main DraftKings Millie Maker. My God. Yeah, and like 80 plus percent in high stakes stuff because he was super cheap. And as this turned out to be the case, Saw literally every single touch for the backfield. Gardner Minshew and Kylan Granson popped up for carries. But as far as running backs are concerned, only player to get a touch uh, or only player to get a carry. Technically, Trey Sermon and Tyler Goodson got targets. But that part of it panned out. And the part where he got near the end zone a lot panned out. I think he had nine red zone touches in this game. A handful that came within the 10 as well. 
as you mentioned, one of one of those or a handful of those touches came off of a drive that started in the red zone via I think it was the second block punt. There were two blocked punts, both. <laughs> okay, um, I couldn't remember if there were one or two. And I two, was like, am I seeing the second block punt? Like when there was a I, just I like recirculating really your feed, the API yes. rebooted it back. Yes. No, no, no. First one was blocked and returned for a touchdown. Second one, which I think was on the ensuing drive, was blocked so perfectly. It actually doesn't technically count as a blocked punt. The punter was never even in the process of making the punt. So it's just like a rush fumble loss because he was that much still like getting control of the ball. And unfortunately, uh, whoever the defender was got there so early, just blew up. I think Ryan Stenhouse is there. He looked severely injured. Yeah, he didn't play. He was done for the day after that. did not mean to laugh, but it was... It was not a good looking play. Yeah, comedy of errors for the team. Unfortunate for him, but like, I mean, that's it just falls to some degree on the special teams coach. Like, cannot be letting that happen. Not Senhouse's fault. And unfortunate that he pays the price. Also, a missed PAT, I believe, it was a missed PAT that could have gotten the Titans the win. It was the PAT, I think, at the end of the game, or at least the it last was. touchdown yes, for them. Because Stenhouse, the punter, as is the case with a lot of punters, is the holder. And then Ryan Tannehill had to resurface in this game to be the holder, and they missed the punt. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then they, Nick Folk had to be the punter. Too much redundancy there. They need more fail yeah, safes yeah. in their in their and their special teams operations. But yeah, back to back in the play log, blocked punt touchdown and then fumble. Which was a <laughs> de facto blocked punt. But fumble, fumble I feel early. like it's underselling it. What the replay of what I yeah, saw. Yeah. It was one of the crazier football plays. You, you know what? Seen. I said this game wasn't very good. Looking back on it, it was fun. It was, a lot it was of fun, fun but it's bad too. Uh, Derek Henry was having a big day. 21 carries for 102 yards and two touchdowns. And then he got concussed and he, he never gets hurt. What happened here and what happened after he departed? Yeah, they only had one other running back active, Tajay Spears, for this game. So uh, it doesn't tell us a ton about, I mean, sort of in a way, not bringing a third running back does tell us a lot about what should we, we should expect. If Derrick Henry misses time, he'd probably only miss a week because it wasn't like a, a particularly bad concussion in terms of like we saw Traylon Burks come back from what I think was a 10-11 three-week absence from a concussion that I think he had to be uh, stretched off the field for, uh, came back this game. This was not that variety of concussion, if you want to be granular about it, but we've seen a lot of players be unable to make that one-week turnaround. Tajay Spears saw every single touch. I think it was a dozen touches from the time Derrick Henry went out in early in the fourth quarter until the end of game, which was overtime as well. They didn't have another option, like I said, but that kind of tells you that they don't feel they need to bring a second option. They obviously will, and probably a third option up from the practice squad if Derrick Henry can't play. But Tajay Spears, this is what he was drafted for as like the handcuff du jour throughout the summer is he can catch passes. He's done that. He's played that role throughout the year. And then he can also go out and be an electric between the tackles back. They won't use him as much as they use Derrick Henry, I'd imagine. Probably forced to throw a bit more. I mean, Tajay Spears is a relatively small dude and Derrick Henry, literally a giant. But yeah, he is going to be the top waiver wire ad by a mile. If I will say Derrick Henry, a, a detail I just noticed, they have an extra day to get him healthy oh, playing nice. on Monday night football against the Dolphins in week 14. So it's kind of, I kind of feel like he's going to play. I feel like teams have been rushing the concussion timeline again, too, as the games <laughs> have been getting more important down the stretch. And the Titans aren't in the playoff hunt, but he does an extra day. Derrick Henry's probably, he's probably a legit 50 50 to go in week 14, but yeah. We're not going to know when waivers. Yeah, you got to you got to add Spears because there's a chance he's a the the RB thirteen in the rankings or whatever. And and if Derrick Henry comes back, which is totally possible, that's just the gamble you have to take because the upside, even for one week, is sky high. 
So the storylines weren't quite as plentiful in the passing game. So for the Colts, uh, the Michael Pittman chalk did get home, 11 catches, 105 uh, yards, and a touchdown. And finally, I mean, I'm going to steal a joke several people were making on Twitter, but those those Alec Pierce best ball shares for all the 10th place teams are really starting to pan out. Three catches, yeah, I, I had some teams yards. that made the jump from 10 to 7. They yeah. were cooking. Yeah, I mean, he had a good game. He This is what we've been waiting to see from him. Was he, He's not a high-volume guy. I think both with Pittman and Downs, who didn't really do much this game. With both of those guys there playing the roles they do, you don't expect to see a lot of like 100-yard or 5 to 6 catch even games. But Pierce hadn't even really showing up in the box scores as that downfield threat. For, for maybe it's because he has Gardner Minshew as quarterback, but Minshew's thrown a lot. He's not afraid to throw the ball downfield. He just hadn't been earning targets, but this was a matchup as like every single player that needs to get right just needs to face the Titans once. These cornerbacks just can't handle like speed on the outside. You know, it have to be that fast on the outside, but Pierce is. So got behind the defense multiple times, including one, the 30, I think six yard touchdown at the very first drive of the game, but then a 55 yarder to what could have or what uh, was almost a touchdown, but at least put them in position to score the game-winning touchdown in overtime. I didn't realize the 55-yarder was not the touchdown. So yeah. two big plays for Alec Pierce, but I mean, no reason to get no no one no one that. played him for this one. Obviously, he even yeah, said no one played him, and just ago. no real reason to expect things to change either. Correct. Yeah, they are. Well, I say that I just noticed they're playing the Bengals in Week 14, who do allow uh, a, as you might say a giga amount of a chunk gains. So maybe you can point chase Alec Pierce if you're super desperate, but you'd have to be pretty desperate to point chasing there real quick before we close the book on this game. Uh, what did you see from the eye test from Will Levis? Not a great box score. We didn't get a touchdown. I saw him yelling at DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, <laughs> that is correct. Out. He did. Uh, you pointed out that D-Hop also made a habit of yelling at Kyler when they were in Arizona. Also, they fought with all those guys, fought with Cliff at different times. So I, I don't want to say like this is a D-Hop problem or whatever. No, uh, I think it was more Kyler would yell at D-Hop. Uh, which I always thought was really weird, like the young guy yelling at the veterans. Like, man, I don't know why I mean, it happened he, again. Yeah, I don't know how he feels comfortable yelling at D Hop. But <laughs> he was um, watching the Kyler tape and was like, "Hey, I can just yell at him." I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think D. Maybe D Hop made a mistake on whatever play that was, but I don't even remember seeing it. It's not like he had some bad drop, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, he's the only guy who's relevant in this pass catching core. As I said, Traylon Burks came back. He didn't play very much. He'd been out of practice for weeks and weeks. He's, he doesn't. He's not even in the box score. So didn't get a target. I saw he played nine or ten snaps. I've seen both numbers floated out. They were just ramping him up. Like really, he came back just to get some reps in. He'll get ramped up as the season goes on. Not uh, a player for fantasy purposes. We care about. Levis was fine in this game. I, I think part of the worry for him was that he made a ton of really bad mistakes in college, and he's not like imploding in that way whereas like Bryce Young who actually didn't make those really bad mistakes in college has turned into that guy Levis still I mean has some he he loves throwing off platform and it doesn't always go great for him but he is uh not making drastic mistakes and his offensive line is never doing him any favors not seeing like I, I'm shocked they don't use him on the ground more he's a really strong athlete and put up really good rushing numbers in college no never gets a design carry doesn't scramble much and for fantasy purposes, even if he's throwing the ball decent, which decent is really the most credit you can give him, he's taking a ton of sacks and he's not rushing. So not only is that bad for the offense, all the sack taking and the lack of explosive plays on the ground, but it leaves no meat on the bone for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I've been wondering about the lack of rushing and if they're just trying to avoid what happened to Anthony Richardson and not having him get hurt as they're trying to develop him down the stretch of a lost season. But it has been kind of curious, but it, it's all, it has been encouraging 
basically we thought if will levis got thrown into games it would be a total fiasco this year yeah he's not okay fine certainly not like like we're literally talking about we're going to talk about tim boyle coming up and trevor simeon coming up he he doesn't fall anywhere near the the likes of those i mean this team unfortunately has malik willis on the roster who the team appears terrified to play anytime they've previously had to do it they're terrified of letting him throw they're letting levis throw they're dialing up good play action plays for him dialing up a ton of trick plays for him another flea flicker in this one that resulted in a chunk gain it's very fun to watch they really really like those trick plays they're good at them too yeah they are good at them but uh, very it's it's maybe a little and discourage uh not a good sign that they have feel the need to call so many trick plays but uh we digress 13 to 8 falcons over the jets I don't even know what to say. I mean, 12, com- 12 completions for Desmond Ritter. Let's go to the box really quick. 12 completions for Desmond Ritter, 14 for Tim Boyle before he got benched, uh, before Trevor Simeon, who appeared to be somehow even worse, fumbled three times. Nothing for Bajan. He did lead the backfield. He- he's now officially leading the Falcons' backfield. That's the good news. But no production. Xavier Gibson led the Jets in receiving. Kyle Pitts led the Falcons in receiving a four for 51. Like, any positive takeaways from this game? no man this game is not good i mean desmond ritter ain't it and then you look across the field and you're like oh my god i'd kill for a desmond ritter on the jets right now because tim boyle was terrible he had garrett wilson is not going to get a ton of air yards credit in this game he he had whatever like we need an equivalent of this guy was wide open on a route and didn't even like didn't even draw the target even though he very clearly should have been targeted like like they're they're like shadow realm air yards that don't exist anywhere but you watch the game you're like dude garrett wilson has been open down the seam three consecutive plays how is he not getting the ball and tim boyle didn't like didn't throw like four interceptions or anything i think that's the biggest reason he got benched is that he had specifically garrett wilson because he's like very clearly the best receiver on this team but he had garrett wilson open many times and did not even throw the ball to him and when he did they weren't always accurate so nothing to take away i guess the takeaway on the jet side like the most interesting thing that changed is Dalvin Cook reemerged for nine carries plus a catch. We got the report from NFL Network's Tom Pelissero before saying that they would uh, use Cook more. That turned out to be exactly true as he hadn't touched the ball 10 times in a game, I think since week three. So he's like legitimately back as a part of the committee. He's more efficient in this game on a yards per carry basis. And And Brees, 13 carries for 16. Not not proving Salah wrong on the, uh, you got to get those grimy yards, stop trying to hit home runs. I don't think there was much Breeze could have done in this game. Like, I don't think he took a, a giant, you know, negative six yard uh, loss trying to find the home run. I don't think there was much he could do, but certainly Salah kind of gets uh, the win. And, and it's not like a tiff between him and Breeze. I think Breeze said right after that, he's like, if you can't call it your best players, you're not a good coach or something like that. So, but <laughs> Salah wins, Salah wins this round. I know. Did, were there any winners on the Falcons? Like we've seen some bleak passing box scores from the Falcons, <laughs> but again, 12 completions, Four for 51, Kyle Pitts leads, one catch for eight yards for Drake London. I mean, it's hard to even say, like, what, what are, like, the takeaways from this? Because they, they seem so, so, so opponent and game script dependent. They do get the pass funnel bucks in week 14. They don't care, man. They're no. still running the football. I mean, the takeaway is, like, oh, our, our prayer yards came back for Kyle Pitts. He led the team in targets, probably led the team in air yards. I haven't seen the numbers yet, but had some downfield looks. And for a few weeks, for more than a few weeks, really, he had kind of his snaps had come down, his target share and air yard share had come down early in the season. We kept getting to point to ah, regression. He's finally going to get some accurate targets and he'll blow up because he gets 108 air yards a game. 
Even that disappeared. Now we get to hang our hats on regression and lose in a new, what I would say is a more fun way, even though we're still losing very obviously. Yeah, so this, the, this, this, which way you lose the Falcons? Yeah, this never, ever, ever, ever never. expect to win. And I don't, any final notes? In this I don't see anything. I don't even see anything worth asking about. I mean, just would Trevor Simeon change anything if he no, goes? Oh man, scared? this guy. Is, I think he's probably. I thought he had matter. to be better than both Zach Wilson so did and I. Tim Boyle, I, but I don't know, and it doesn't matter. He instantly, like you said, took a bunch of sacks in this one. The game ended on what was like a de facto sack. He like barely got the ball off, and it fluttered harmlessly into the ground. Zach Wilson is the best among these guys, but like you say that and then he throws three interceptions, then you say it has to be Tim Boyle and then he throws four interceptions and then Trevor Simeon sacks. It's, and we're not seeing Rogers like as if that were ever realistic, you know, debatable. Now they're nearly going to be eliminated from playoffs. He's definitely not coming back. Yeah. They're four and eight. They'd have to win out to have any sort of shot. And they're playing the Texans. Then at the Dolphins, the schedule is actually kind of soft. The Texans, Texans these Texans are good these days, and Dolphins should destroy them. So. No, I know. I say they would have if they could somehow miraculously win those two games. Then it's the Commanders, Browns, and Patriots. But yeah, it's not happening. Yeah, Commanders was the one Rodgers was supposedly targeting for a potential return, but they're they're going to be out of it by then. Maybe they'll come back just to uh, do some stat padding for that Commanders game and then shut themselves down for the season for weeks <laughs> seventeen and eighteen. Uh, but no, no Aaron Rodgers this season. I don't even know what to say again about the Patriots. Six to nothing loss to the Chargers where I'll reiterate the stat that somehow came up in my segment with Denny that you mentioned before we got on the air, where the Patriots are the first team since the 1938 Chicago Cardinals. People forget that the Cardinals uh, moved even before. Uh, they moved when they were the St. Louis Cardinals. They moved before that. They played in Chicago. And the Patriots are the first team since the 38 Chicago Cardinals to lose three straight games when they allowed 10 or fewer points. They lost 10 to 6 to the Jets, 10 to 7 to the Giants, and now 6 to nothing to the Chargers. And there, there was truly nothing here. There was no silver linings. Denny and I talked about there were some silver linings in that Saints Lions game where some people got home with touchdowns. Chris Godwin got home with a 19 yard rushing touchdown. Uh, Zach Moss didn't get home, but no one got home this game. Keenan Allen, no touchdowns. Austin Eckler, no touchdowns. Well, there were literally no touchdowns in the game. So <laughs> any player you can think of in this game did not have a touchdown. Ramondre Stevenson injured early with a fairly serious-looking ankle injury. And, yeah, I would do anything you want to know about this game because it was bad. I I don't know. why. I guess what happened for the Chargers? Why? I see they were dreadfully, dreadfully inefficient running the ball. 24 carries for 29 yards. A few kneel downs, I assume, for Justin Herbert as if that really changes what the stats tell you. I, so they were inefficient on the ground. Eckler seems to be continuing to struggle, averaging 1.3 yards a carry. But I test, was this as embarrassing of a win as it looks? Was it worse? Was it better? It was pretty bad. I mean, you never really felt like they were going to lose, but the Patriots were driving late with the chance where they got basically to near midfield. And they had like a 25, 26-yard pass to Devontae Parker that he almost corralled around the Chargers 30 yard line. And you were looking at Chargers history there, but he could not quite get in bounds. Uh, so it was not a good performance by the Chargers. And Austin Eckler just comprehensively lacking big play. He had 14 carries and his long gain was four yards. So he didn't even like ever bust out like a 10 or 11 yarder and then get stood up for a bunch of losses. Just no explosion there whatsoever. I mean, Josh Kelly had six carries for 16 yards. The Patriots clearly, they know the Chargers are banged up. 
let's just eliminate the run game, see if they can beat us with the pass, and they just couldn't. Quentin Johnson tied a season high with five catches. Okay, so he was good again. There was no, like, crazy mistakes. Nothing bad happened. I was actually going to point that out. Five catches, 50-some yards. He's back to, like, being normal, good, first-round pick, not a bust, right? And Kyle sets up the punchline where a a third and 12, absolutely horrific drop by Quentin Johnston in the first half. I can't remember. Was that going to be a touchdown? I don't um, think so. It's playing on repeat in the box score on ESPN, was, so I keep seeing it. No, it was. I think he was going out of bounds, and the defender was over top. But like you said, third and twelve. It was third over, and twelve, and it, it was in the red zone too. So it wasn't going to be a touchdown. He was going out of bounds, but it was in the red zone, and just just an inexcusable drop. Just what you'd call a concentration drop. Yeah, just I was hands. I was at a, a brewery recently, and I saw a dad throw a kid to his ball, and it just like hands bounces between them hits the kid's chest and falls down and then the kid trips and that was the closest thing i could relate to the quentin johnson drop like truly perfect pass right in the hands bobbles it and comically tips it a few times before it flutters away from him and that happened and then donald parham in the second half a pretty critical fourth and four had a drop that was almost as bad so that's what you can't even really true the justin herbert like he needed to make more big plays i guess but he was fine. He was 22 of 37 for 212 yards, and these guys are just kicking the ball around, basically. His, his number one receiver is playing through like two or three injuries and in Keenan Allen, and you really could not be upset with Justin Herbert's day. And it's just – it's such a bad situation for him right now. They, they need Josh Palmer back so bad, which you, you, you should never be in the situation where you desperately <laughs> need Josh Palmer. Jalen Guyton – he didn't have an end zone drop. I was going to say he had a drop, but it wasn't a drop. It was an end zone target, but it wasn't a drop. But they really need Josh Palmer back. And as you and I were talking, there was real no indication he was going to come back this week. He seems very dicey for week 14 against the Broncos. And I, I, I don't know where the fantasy points are going to come from for Justin Herbert in week 14. Yeah, Palmer's like dicey to return this season. They, they've been very hesitant to even say he'll come back this year. I think they did get uh, – uh, Staley got asked that question, and he just said he, he couldn't say at this point. So, yeah, no no signs of hope for this team talent-wise no. getting better. Uh, other side of the, of the ball, like you said, do, do we care much about what's going on here? I'll note, like you said, Stevenson went down. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott got 17 carries, didn't do much with him, 52 yards. Uh, like you said, no touchdowns, so you don't have to say that no one scored in this game. Four for 40 through the air, saves it in your PPR leagues. Any juice here with Zeke as, like, a, obviously he's going to be among the better waiver wire pickup options, but how how good, how bad? Yeah, there's definitely some juice. It's the first time all year he had 20 touches. Um, they're playing the Steelers, who had kind of a shaky run defense. Well, not kind of. They've had a shaky run defense than James Conner. Just had a real big day against them. The only thing, it's a short week game. It's the Thursday night. And the Steelers are super discombobulated. The Patriots are super discombobulated. It could be one of those haywire games in a really bad way. But, I mean, Zeke is going to be in the probably the top 24 because they have no option other than to shovel touches his way. I guess Ty Montgomery will mix in and play some passing downs. But yeah, Zeke, almost no scenario in which he does not get 20 because it's going to be – uh, it's going to be Mitch Trubisky for the Steelers. So the Steelers it's going to look gonna, a lot like this game. In yeah, fact. yeah, the Steelers are not going to be getting out to like a two score lead or anything yep. like that. So 20 touches seems like a, almost a guarantee for Zeke in week 14, whether anything happens with them, of course, that, that's up to you. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're just giving you the information, uh, but he'll probably be in the top 24 based on this projected workload alone. Yeah, Devontae Parker got nine uh, targets by far a season high. Hopefully Demario Douglas will be ready to return for that game. 
I mean, Hunter Henry, just embarrassing. I think he has five catches in three games since the Patriots by a back-to-back donuts for Mike Jacecki, one of the worst free agent signings in recent memory. Tyquan Thornton's only target was a horrible drop. The only good deep ball Bailey Zappi threw all day. Uh, there's, there's just no hope with these these Patriots pass catchers. Fun sounds yeah, beautiful. Fun, yeah, great way to end. The, great way to end the segment. <laughs> any any difference between uh, Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones? Can you tell them apart when you're watching the games? No, not really. I mean, Tom Curran, who I trust a lot, said he thought he thought the operation maybe looked a little smooth. He didn't really see much difference. But like I don't know, the, he was, I think maybe he said that like there was like just a little extra hope just because it was someone new. But no, no, nothing really. Uh, there were less big mistakes. Sure. Um, there, there weren't any more. The thing, the thing is, there weren't any more positive plays. There were probably fewer negative plays. So there was maybe a slight increase, decrease in negative plays, but no corresponding increase in positive plays. And it's how would there be with this core? So. Fair. Very, very bad in New England right now. Very, very good segment for Mr. Kyle Dvorak. Thank you so much for joining us, Kyle. Thank you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now joined by Eric Samalski, who had the Rams 36-19 to victory over the Browns. And Eric, I've never been a big fan of this cliche, but this game was closer than the score would indicate. And a lot of interesting storylines in this game. Joe Flacco uh, is coming back and doing his Joe Flacco thing. The, the man, late stage Joe Flacco, late career, is just always 40-plus attempts, no matter what. I don't know why uh, he got there. Matthew Stafford continued some positive touchdown regression, three more scores. Uh, Kyron Williams, another big day. You're handling all the work in the Rams' backfield. But two key injuries in this game, one on both sides. Uh, what do people need to know about, oh, spoiler alert, Amari Cooper and Puka, Puka Nakua? Sure. I mean, the Puka Nakua injury seemed like the bigger one uh, when it happened. Uh, you know, he made a leap and catch, hit the ground, um, was holding his shoulder. They had totally immobilized it. The sideline reporters and the Rams beat reporters were talking about him being in tears as he came off the field. Um, and then he was back for the third quarter. Um, he, he didn't he didn't catch a pass in the second half. However, he did carry the ball three times um, and and you know looked good doing it. I mean, you know, so I, I don't believe you're gonna see any residual effects here. There's some indication by like you know Twitter doctors that um, because it was a rib injury, that they probably gave him some sort of some some yeah. they gave him something to make him feel good to get yes. back out onto the field. So um, you know he might miss some practices or something. Um, you know at the start of the week, um, Amari Cooper left the game and did not return uh, with a concussion in the second quarter. Um, we've seen now players come back um, within a week. Obviously, Chris Olave you know just did it. Um, so. This is not a, you know, Cooper's definitely out um, 
for next week's game, but it's definitely something to to monitor. Um, it's a pretty plus matchup against the Jaguars, um, so we'd love to you know see him back in there. Um, and then also Tyler Higby on the Rams in the fourth quarter left the game with a head neck injury. Um, the report from the uh, crew covering the game was that he had had passed the concussion test, but was not back in the game because of the neck injury. Um, the Rams themselves didn't say anything about him passing a concussion test. So that's something to keep an eye on. Listen, Higby is not necessarily like, you know, super, super fantasy relevant right now, but um, it does open up more targets if he's not in the game because he was third on the team in targets prior to getting hurt. You took the the point right out of my mouth where even though he's not really fantasy relevant anymore, he he gets targets and now those have to go somewhere else. I get the you know feeling. They, you know where they go? <laughs> where do they go? <laughs> they go to Demarcus Robinson. Oh my gosh. Who we yeah. all knew 100% played for the Rams. I know. Yeah, you dropped you dropped that Easter egg in the slack and uh, many of us <laughs> did not know which team Demarcus Robinson was. I do remember now when they signed him actually, but yeah. uh, I had memory hold that. But by the way, Tyler Higby though, he has a history of neck issues. So mm. not a great not a great development for him. I doubt he suits up in week 14 against the really tough Ravens defense. One thing I wanted you to, to circle back on, you mentioned three carries for Puka Nakua. The box score only scores shows two. Uh, yes. That's uh, yes. Tell us what happened to the third. There was a 45-yard run by Puka Nakua, who apparently ran like the world's slowest 40 time at the Combine, so nobody wanted to draft him, but he's out here busting off a 70-yard touchdown pass, uh, or sorry, catch, where he beats all the Rams' safeties, and then a 45-yard run. Uh, that was called back on a hold by the aforementioned Demarcus Robinson, um, oh, who did grab the the outside pad, but like let it go immediately. Um, oh, and those are so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, listen, Mark Sanchez, who was calling the game, said it shouldn't have been called, and obviously, you know, we just got to listen to Mark Sanchez. He's kind of a divisive announcer. I don't mind him that much, to he's, be honest. He's fine. There was a, there was there was a play where um, Elijah Moore, who obviously stepped up big time after after Amari Cooper left ha- led the Browns with 12 targets um you would have you know hit your bingo card if you uh said that the announcers would mention eight times that Joe Flacco has a history with Elijah Moore because they played minimal snaps <laughs> together on the Jets last year but he made a catch where he fell backwards and his butt cheek landed in bounds before his leg hit out of bounds um and the um the replay cr- official on the on the uh, telecast refused to ask Mark Sanchez if it was a catch because he didn't want to. He didn't want Mark Sanchez to have to talk about butts in football plays. <laughs> oh um, yeah, there's a history there. But um, but yeah. Elijah Moore, listen, that was a 42 yard catch. He did come down with it. He led the Browns four catches, 83 yards. Uh, you know, we caught four of 12 targets from Flacco. Um, it was not uh, efficient, but. He was the guy when Cooper was out. If Cooper is out against the Jaguars, um, it will likely be Elijah Moore stepping up. I mean, he's really the only other wide receiver of note at all. Cedric Tillman did see six targets, but two catches for 20 yards. Really, um, Harrison Bryant stepped up kind of as the third receiver. It was really just Elijah Moore, David Njoku, and Harrison Bryant. Uh, they used a lot of play action, and Bryant got open over the middle of the field. You know, five catches, forty-nine yards, and a touchdown. So he would be relevant, I believe, in you know, in deeper formats if Cooper misses, and really if Flacco is the quarterback. Because you know, I know we'll talk about Flacco now, but 
the Browns are, I won't commit to him for next week right now. I think it will probably, it's going to have to be Flacco, isn't it? I, it? I don't see how it's it not. It should. Flacco. Listen, people are going to look at the box score and see 23 of 44 and be like, oh, that's an inefficient passing day. He was, he was really good. Um, okay. He was pretty good entering the fourth quarter. Um, and then, you know, they got down uh, by multiple scores and he was slinging it and trying to, and you know, get them back in again without Cooper. And so the, the results weren't there, but what, what you want, if you have Browns on your fantasy team is that Flacco was decisive. He still has the arm strength to make most throws. He pushed the ball down the field regularly, had no problem taking big shots down the field um, and was far more accurate despite what the box score says than, you know, PJ Walker, DTR, all those guys. So we know we're not getting Watson. Flacco is clearly was the most efficient of the other options and he deserves to get another start. I could, the only thing I could see is if they decided the season were over and they wanted to try to develop DTR a little bit, but they're still seven and five. Things are trending the wrong direction, but I think at least while they're still reasonably in the playoff hunt, we're yes. going to get a little more Joe Flock. And they're not going to be under a ton of pressure to develop DTR. I mean, the, the, the Watson contract is three more fully guaranteed years. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. There's, he's not going anywhere. He's not going here. I think it will be Joe Flacco in week 14 against the Jaguars. And then they get the Bears. Then they get the Texans. Maybe we, I don't know, maybe we get some one last ride type of deal uh, production from Joe Flacco. By the way, Puka Nakua, it has to be a good sign that he was getting carries after a rib injury. Like, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like you're not going to give a guy exactly. carries uh, a receiver. Yeah, I think, listen, he might be more healthy than Cooper Cup, who led the Rams in targets and and catches but he had six catches for 39 yards and a touchdown he's clearly not 100 percent um the touchdown was just you know listen a, a nifty little in and out route um from you know within the 10 yard line and he got open um and that's the kind of stuff he will continue to do and obviously if you're in a ppr format cup remains valuable because he's still going to be the most targeted player on the team but that explosiveness is just not there right now he's just not healthy uh he'll be used underneath but you know like they were taking more D and we joked about Demarcus Robinson before, but like they were using him down the field more often than cup because I just don't know that they trust They trust Cooper cup to get open down the field the way that they would normally. All right, that, that, that's bleak to hear, but yeah, it makes sense. He's clearly nowhere close to hundred percent health. And, uh, and the, we'll end with the backfields. Kyron Williams, the backfield takeover is just complete. Yeah. He had a good, he blew up the Cardinals two games in a row, so we needed to see him do something against one non-Arizona defense. The Browns aren't like an elite run defense, but they're a great overall defense. Good yeah, day. and they they sold out to stop the run. You know, they knew that Cup was hurt. They were playing like a one-high safety, and they had everything at the line of scrimmage, and they were basically daring Stafford to beat them. And he, you know, he was efficient, and he, you know, moved the ball down the field. But but Williams. You know, 21 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown doesn't jump off the page, but he did that against a lot of stacked fronts. He ran well, five targets, three catches, 24 yards. So he's involved in the passing game, played 94% of the snaps. He he is the guy. He's an RB1. That workload, you just don't find other places. Um, and unfortunately, the the other team is the exact opposite because Jerome Ford now only played 51% of the snaps for the Browns. He That's got out carried 12 to 9 by Kareem Hunt on the drive where the Browns should have tied this game at 20 in the fourth quarter, but Dustin Hopkins missed the extra point. It was all Kareem Hunt and Pierre Strong 
There was no carries for Jerome Ford. He got on the field later in the game and he did, you know, have three catches for 33 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown was on the first drive of the game. Um, so he's still involved in the passing game, but this is just, this is three backs. I mean, you know, even Pierre strong played 20% of the snaps. Um, it's, it's muddled. You don't really want to roster Pierre strong, but hunt and Ford are getting enough work that, but they kind of need touchdowns to be fantasy relevant. They might just be legit hot handing it or like, or it's not coach speak. This, whoever yeah. they think is looking good in the moment they're going with. And that certainly seems to be what happened because it, it had been a while since Pierre strong like mm-hmm. popped up. In, in, yeah. in any fashion and like you say he's getting the most important snaps in this game and hunt was the hunt was the most effective runner um just you know from a from a, a visual standpoint i mean you know ford unfortunately being the more like explosive shifty running back was used on like a lot of just like ill-fated draws and reverses and stuff like that in the you know he had a rush for seven yards and a rush for 10 yards in the first quarter and finished the first quarter with two yards rushing um, so that should tell you about how a lot of those running plays went. I love my ill-fated running plays. Uh, I love the, this kind of gloriously weird game. This was this was a strange one, and just two teams that have played a lot of strange games this year, and an analyst who's broken down a lot of strange games this year. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Pat. Right now, joined by Mr. Aditya Foldiore, who had the Texans outlasting the Broncos 22 to 17. Sorry, I've used the word outlasting several times in this podcast. Need to come up with more words, but close game. I don't know if you'd call it an entertaining game, Aditya. It was a sad game where one of the fantasy breakout stars of the year, Tank Dell, suffered a really bad ankle injury, a season ending ankle slash leg injury. We won't see him again until 2024. Hopefully, he'll be the same. He suffered one of those those really serious lower body orthopedic injuries. And for a smaller guy, it could be a problem, but just a really bad development. In his absence, uh, the Texans passing offense, uh, I, I was about to say they didn't miss a beat. That's not true. It wasn't C.J. Stroud's biggest game, but Nico Collins didn't miss a beat. Nine catches for 191 yards and a touchdown. What unfolded after Tank Dell left this game? Yeah, after Tank Dell was gone, the Texans pretty much just said, we'll throw it to Nico Collins, and that's pretty much it for the whole game. <laughs> he had 12 targets, and he was the only Texans wide receiver to have more than one catch this game. Um, after that, it was Brevin Jordan, the tight end, with three catches. So it was Nico Collins with nine, Brevin Jordan with three, and then a few players with one. But um, after Tank Dell left, it, the play he was hurt on was he was blocking – on a three-yard Damian Pierce touchdown, which is really strange to have a guy like of his stature block on a on a play like that. That was uh, I didn't know if that was like just like a non-football guy too. Like, well, you just don't know ball. Everyone always says left by, but even a lot of the ball knowers were saying, "Yeah, you don't do that." Yeah, that was not a good idea. It was a strange happening, but. After after Tang Dell, um, Noah Brown and Robert Woods, I thought would get some sort of run, but they didn't really get that many looks. Noah Brown had two targets. He didn't catch either of them. He had one drop over the middle of the field. Um, and then Robert Woods didn't get a single target the whole game. So Man. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Maybe it was that sort of thing where the Texans game plan to have Tank Dell for the whole game. And then after that, they just said, well, throw it to Nico Collins and worry about the rest for future games. But the Texans passing off and CJ Stroud continues to be uh, the best rookie out there. Um, he's pretty much been the only rookie quarterback that's looked like 
a, the head of a playoff team. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nico Collins will be fine, and he'll he'll have a lot of upside, especially heading into those fantasy playoffs with CJ Thro- CJ Stroud throwing to him as his wide receiver one for the rest of the season. Yeah, really a hugely impressive performance by CJ Stroud in some way. He took five sacks, but he only completed 16 throws. But to still get close to 300 yards and just get the W against a really tough defense after losing one of your most important players, he's just doing things rookies don't normally do. You made a really important point about uh, mid-game, in-game injuries. What unfolds after those, a lot of times it's not always telling because, like, when you're adjusting on the fly, you're just you're doing it. That's what you're doing. You're adjusting on the fly. Where once they have an entire week to game plan for Week 14, and I'm looking at the Texans, I believe in Week 14. Yes, they're playing the Jets. The Jets, yeah, um, not a great matchup, but things can be. Different. Noah Brown, maybe he just wasn't fully healthy today, but yeah, things will be different in the mm-hmm. the post Tank Dell landscape. We just don't know what it's going to be, and it might not be telling again either against the Jets, a really tough defense, but. Um, any any final notes on the Texans where we get to the, the Broncos? Damian Pierce doubled up. Devin Singletary and carries was not expecting yeah. that. It, it looks like the backfield's going back to what it was before Damian Pierce's injury. Um, Devin Singletary definitely still getting that receiving role that he was getting before. But Pierce got the bulk of the red zone carries, which was interesting to see after all those uh, a couple of weeks of Singletary really blowing up. But uh, it looks like the Texans know the roles that they want their running backs to be in. It's still a running back by committee type thing, but I expect Pierce to be getting those red zone carries and Singletary to be getting more of those uh, receiving opportunities. And then Dari Ogunbowale just sprinkled in there a little bit. It seemed I, I don't have any counter take to that whatsoever. It seemed like they're just going back. Devin Singletary was like 80% of the snaps two weeks ago, mm-hmm. but that must have just been a post-injury thing for Damian Pierce because – this is exactly what we saw before the injury and pretty discouraging. If you thought you were getting like a scam RB two and Devin Singletary, the scam is over uh, folks. We are moving on from Devin Singletary, the Broncos, I don't know, the second week in a row, Russell Wilson had over 10 carries. Uh, that was strange. We had three picks. Uh, no, no one had more than three catches. What was going on with the Broncos offense? Yeah. It seemed like Russell Wilson wasn't really looking past his first read, at least early in the game. Uh, Jerry Judy was getting separation a lot, but Russell Wilson was just wasn't looking at him and ended up scrambling a lot um, to get some of those carries. Uh, Will Anderson was in the backfield a lot. He had two sacks on Russell Wilson, and then Derek Stingley also had two picks in this game. So the Texans defense was doing a really good job on the Broncos offense. Cortland Sutton got seven targets, but only caught two of them. He was getting a lot of deep targets, and he finally caught one in the third quarter for a 45-yard touchdown. But he had a drop on the first uh, first possession uh, first possession of the game for the Broncos, and really there could have been more uh, than what we saw from Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Again, it it doesn't seem like Russell Wilson's really targeting him as no. and as one of the first reads of the offense. So it's really Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, and then Javante Williams getting carries who he was inefficient today also no touchdown so probably a bit more of a disappointing game for fantasy owners yeah has not been an efficient offense in quite a while it hasn't been like horribly inefficient but they are just grinding out yards whether it's the passing game the running game and i think they're just like trying to survive this season they're trying to make the playoffs (laughs) any way possible 
and don't really see it. It's funny. I don't see anything changing. It's funny you mentioned Derek Stingley, by the way. It'd be nice if he were not a bust. Uh, I think he had a pretty bad rookie year. Um, so kind of nice that he's popping up. For Looking better game. this year for sure. He had he had two picks, and I think it's four picks over his last three games. So as I know fantasy is more of the offensive game, but I, I enjoyed watching him and Will Anderson today for sure. Yeah, you're allowed to admit that you like defense occasionally. <laughs> so, uh, Deitcha, really, really good stuff as always. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. We're now joined by Zach Kruger, who had two of the more consequential fantasy games of the day. The Dolphins uh, really handing it to the Commanders, 45-15. to 15, And then the 49ers kind of surprisingly doing the same thing to the Eagles, 42-19. to 19. We had even Kyle Shanahan saying before the game he didn't really understand why the 49ers were favored. Uh, we know now why they were favored. But we'll begin with the Dolphins and the Commanders, Zach, where Devin Achan returned and handled immediately 20 touches again, I believe, 17 carries. Yeah, three uh, receptions right back to 20 touches for him coming off the knee issues. Uh, but then Sam Howell just really kind of straight. Let's start with Sam Howell because you and I were talking right before the show. Like, Sam Howell has proven – I'm taking your point from you, but you're talking about how Sam Howell has proven he can make starts in the NFL, but you're not so sure if he's really like a starter. And maybe he's just kind of on that really hardcore on that Gardner Minshew career trajectory. Is that fair? And just how did he look against the Dolphins on Sunday? Because the box score looks very, very bad. Yeah, I mean it's it's twelve. It's a twelve for twenty three passing day. One hundred twenty seven yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Hal has one touchdown pass over the last three weeks, and he has three pick sixes over that same span. So that's just a, a brutal, you know, line right there. All things considered, there's also another thing that was pointed out earlier on. Um, I think it was leading up to the Thanksgiving Day matchup against the Cowboys. A local radio host here in town by the name of Grant Paulson had mentioned that through the first whatever it was like 11 weeks of the season Hal and the commanders hadn't faced a single top 10 defense in the league and now for the remaining weeks 12 through 18 span they're getting i think top 10 defenses in virtually every week with except for maybe their matchup against um the rams which is, is be, i believe the matchup yeah, yeah. coming off their bye um so so some of these numbers that's that Hal has posted early on first of all we know that they're gaudy um, counting numbers, basically leading the league in pass attempts by like 80, uh, you know, lead, leading the league in passing yards, which you would expect for a guy who's airing out as much as he is. There's just a lot of like high counting numbers for how, where ideally you would like to see the efficiency numbers somewhat match that, but he's constantly middle of the road or towards the bottom 20 in, in several efficiency metrics. And then another stat that, or another fact that I pointed out to you just before we hopped on here was the horrible pace that Hal was on as far as sacks go early in the season I think it was weeks one through seven if I'm not mistaken he was on pace for some somewhere in the range of like 90 sacks and then after that first loss to the Giants the sacks took a massive dip we saw things like running back targets and things of that nature nearly double which I think alleviated some of those sacks for Hal but then what we were still looking at weeks eight through at least 12 and then I think he took three more sacks today was a guy who even on the quote-unquote improved version of sacks for Hal was still a guy who was on pace for 55 sacks and this new and improved pace, which on any given year would either lead the league or probably be like top two or three in the league. So the best version of Hal is still taking sacks at what would be a season high pace for any given year. Um, yards per attempt, obviously not great in this one with 23 attempts and just 127 yards. His number one receiver, uh, Terry McLaurin, completely donutted in this game uh three targets he actually was out targeted by curtis samuel antonio gibson and Jahan dotson each of them saw five respectively dotson only two catches for 23 yards uh 
and I, I I still also struggle with the whole Eric Bieniemy play calling thing. It's not been great this year. He's certainly shown signs of improvement at times, but we also know that the Kansas City offense did a lot to feature their wide receivers in ways that wasn't always necessarily the downfield receptions, the the you know the the deep you know and inter- intermediate looks. Uh, Andy Reid's offense for the last several years found ways to get guys like Tyree Kill and Juju Smith-Schuster through the ball in the short areas of the field, and then let them create after the catch. And we're really not seeing that with McLaurin or any of these top targets in Washington's offense. And it just kind of makes me wonder what what's being to be taking from the offense in Kansas City that he's bringing here, and why does it not include his his two top receivers as more of a factor in the game plan? It is weird that you just can't keep a good Curtis Samuel down who didn't just out target a Terry McLaurin, but yeah, he led tie for the team lead and receptions led easily in receiving yards, basically doubled up everyone in receiving yards. And yeah, you just kind of see, I feel like the whole thing falling apart. And I don't know if it's really Eric B fault where I think he maybe did a good job keeping this propped up as long as he could. But like you said, the bills coming due in terms of better defenses uh, Sam Howe made some midseason adjustments, but I guess defenses are adjusting back. And I mean, 12 completions is uh, just a very, very bad day. And not going to get it done in fantasy, not going to get it done in real life. No, they also completely mailed it in in the second half, which is really interesting. I, I had posted a video to Twitter earlier. Um, assuming it was a, a completely accurate sideline report, the reporter for uh, the network, I forget who it was on Fox, said that uh, Ron Rivera said at halftime that they need to get back to running the ball more in a game where he was oh down 24 points. Um, and, and they did that. The commanders ran 21 total plays in the second half. They technically had 12 rushes, or yes, 12 rushes to nine passes, but that's also including the three straight runs they had on their final possession of the game, which was literally just to close out like the last minute of the clock. The, it, the, the commander's offense, and I don't know if that was by by way of Rivera or Biennemi or how that all worked out, but the commanders essentially ran a 50-50 split of run pass on very limited plays in the second half after trailing 24 heading into halftime. So, it, it, I mean... Not good. It, it, it's hard to respect what you're seeing when something like that happens. Yeah. In the second and it half. seems like maybe like a coaching disagreement between him and Eric Bieniemy, and just kind of I've everything going totally haywire with the season down the tubes. And yeah, things could maybe get a lot worse before they get better, which will things will not get better until 2024 <laughs> at the earliest for the Commanders. The Dolphins side, the, so the main storyline here, kind of status quo for the Dolphins. Two hitting some big plays to Tyree Kill. Jalen Waddle only five for 52, but I mean, the Dolphins attempted 25 passes. So, like, what do you think is going to happen? Status quo, except for Devin HN coming back. I didn't know how he'd be used after the knee woes, but it seems like they just used him the way they want to. They used Devin HN before the injury. Out okay, Raheem Mostert, 17 to 11. What did you see in the Dolphins' backfield? So the Dolphins backfield, and I, I, I'll, I'll need to look at the exact splits from half to half to see how it looks. But there, Achan was featured on several drives late in the game. Um, I think it was on the Dolphins' last or second to last drive. They had basically run the ball upwards of ten times, splitting it with Achan and what Jeff Wilson, and it was Achan who I would estimate probably handled about seventy percent of those carries. So it, it, had it not been for a game script where they they pulled Mostert later in the game just because it was such a big lead, I think there's an off chance that it would have been. And a more 50-50 touch distribution between Achan and Mostert, possibly even with Mostert having the slight edge in carries. So the Achan rush line as far as 17 carries, I believe, is a bit inflated from uh, just the, a blowout of performance in the second half. But again, I mean, 
he was still getting at least a 50 50 split by all accounts which we would like to see i think that was kind of the ceiling outlook for him going in was hopefully he would be in a 50 50 committee with mostert at worst i think that that's fair to say that we saw that and then on top of that he had four targets on the day to convert those three catches for 30 yards mostert only one target so Ideally, what I think we want to see with A-Chan is a 50-50 backfield split in terms of the rush attempts and then him dominating most of the targets between the two backs, and we did at the very least see that. So I'll be interested to see how things shape up for them heading into Week 14 and what will hopefully be maybe a little bit more normal of a game script. They get the Titans, so maybe not. Um, <laughs> you just never know. But uh, it, 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 by all accounts, things were good for A-Chan. I think they were slightly inflated because of the game script, and he scored twice, but certainly nothing that you know we could say was bad here probably a good sign that they're confident enough in his health to give him like second half work in a game where they didn't need to so that's yeah. like a good takeaway too for mr devin h and oh yeah titan titans defense that in theory is tougher against the run well yeah they actually just totally shut down zach moss so i guess they're probably still doing pretty well in the run jeffrey simmons was injured on sunday though uh, but devin h and he's back in the top 24 that we know both dolphins running backs are still in the top 24 this next game, the 42 to 19 victory for the 49ers with the Eagles. I'm not entirely sure what to say about this game. A lot of fantasy production, uh, but it was not close. The 49ers scored touchdowns on six straight drives. Debo Samuel got two. Debo is just going nuts. Two touchdowns on only four targets. No one more than seven targets for the 49ers. AJ Brown and Devontae Smith both did a lot of compiling. DeAndre Swift got injured at. I don't even know where to start. Where, where do you start with this game, Zach? Just a domination by the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair to start. 49ers, 42 to 19 winners in this one. Brock Purdy, 19 of 27 passing for 314 yards and four touchdowns. Of the four touchdowns, and I feel like this is just what we have come to expect from, from Purdy and the 49ers in general, is just absolutely elite, insane players after the catch who is capable of ripping off one big play after the other we saw that with george kittle today he had two catches for over 20 yards finished the day with 68 yards but his two long catches combined for 57 of those 68 yards and he he racked up some good yak in this one debo samuels two touchdowns of 48 and 46 yards if i had to just guess off the top of my head probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 60 to 70 yards of yak between those two scores. Um, and, and then even a Jawan Jennings touchdown reception at 18 yard play. That was another one where he shook a defender uh, after the catch. And then he rumbled for the majority of the yards to get the touchdown on his 18 yard score. Uh, Purdy, we know is efficient in this, in this 49ers offense. We know he can find the, the playmakers and get the ball to where he needs to, you know, almost at will. Uh, it's just crazy to see how, in addition to that, he also benefits from having just these insanely talented athletes at the wide receiver and tight end positions who are just able to create so much after the catch. And it certainly helps too that the Eagles secondary has not been, uh, I would say, a fraction of what they were last year. They've taken a massive step back, uh, but a lot of missed tackles in this one, just bad angles on their tackles that, that I think helped certainly raise the, uh, the, the overall touchdown count of Purdy in this one. Um, the only touchdown that wasn't in a yak was a, a two-yard touchdown to Brandon Ayuk um, early in the day. But um, he you know, ran as hot as we like to see Brock Purdy run. Christian McCaffrey, 17 carries, 93 yards, and a touchdown as well on the ground. He added another 40 yards through the air. Uh, just overall, very good day for the for the 49ers on the road in Philadelphia. They did not appear at all overwhelmed uh, by the game at large. Slow first quarter, but they bounced back to the three. Really impressive by Brock Purdy, considering how slow of a start they got off. Yeah, so the start was incredibly slow. 
And then they just went Death Star mode. And then <laughs> Brock Purdy, maybe you could say he's in the right place at the right time, but he's he's he goes both ways. He's the man the 49ers need right now. And yeah, I'm done. People I'm sure annoyed at how long it took me to like come around on Brock Purdy, but there's no holes left to poke. He he's doing his job. I mean, what more are you supposed to do? And he also he he's he does he does do more than just do it. He gets a lot of yak job scores, but man, he's way more creative when things break down than Jimmy Garoppolo was. And yeah, I just had I had to to learn to start loving Brock Purdy, and I do, and very very impressive. I don't the Eagles. It's not like they were bad, but I mean, they definitely weren't bad for fantasy. Hard to complain for a fantasy manager. I may what what happened to DeAndre Swift? Only six carries for thirteen yards, no touchdowns, roughed up late. Um, how serious does the DeAndre Swift injury situation seem? So as, as a man responsible for blurbing these players after the game, I was looking for news on Swift. I did not find anything on his injury. He walked off under his own power. It was late in the game. Um, so so based on the fact that I couldn't find anything, unless something has since come out since we recorded this, I think it's going to be wait and see right now on Swift. He, he got lit up on the play pretty hard late in the game. It was on a legal <laughs> hit. It was a big hit, probably one of the bigger legal hits you'll see in today's NFL. Um, but but just overall, just a very bad day for Swift, both on the ground and through the excuse me, and through the air. Six carries for 13 yards, another two of seven through the air on six targets. Those six targets tied Kenny Gainwell for the most targets in the Eagles' backfield. Um, and, and I really think that the story for the Eagles, who, like you said, it wasn't really, by all accounts, a, a, a bad scoring day in terms of, uh, I mean, certainly you want more than 19 points, but Jalen Hurts, 26 of 45 passing, 298 yards, one touchdown. There were no turnovers in this game, so it wasn't like the Eagles were having careless mistakes. But the, but the running game, which we know that is still a big part of what the Eagles thrive on, just wasn't there. Um, 13 yards for Swift, five yards for Gainwell on two carries, and then two yards for Boston Scott. Jalen Hurts led the team with 20 rushing yards on seven carries. The 49ers yeah, did a very good job at bottling up the offense. And then, obviously, the result of you know bottling them up early on the ground is going to be creating longer conversions on third down, which is you know that makes that hard. And then it's just kind of a trickle down effect from there. The Eagles, for all the talent they have on wide receiver, have have thrived tremendously. Um, by way of the Jalen Hurts and DeAndre Swift rushing attack uh, throughout. And and that was bottled up, which I think just created a lot of longer situations for them that they were, weren't were able to overcome. And then when your defense isn't stopping anybody, you're going to gradually have to progress to a more aggressive offense through the air just to try to keep pace with the fact that the other team is running up points on you at will. Yeah, that's, I think that's kind of the shorter way. I was trying to like distill that in my head. Like, what would I say about the Eagles? offensive performance and they weren't amazing they weren't bad but it's kind of bullet time they just couldn't keep up uh, they yeah. they did okay but it just wasn't enough and they yeah <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy to think that like this the eagles team that is so complete well not i can't call them complete this year because how much they've regressed on past defense but kind of scary that they could just get blown out by the 49ers and like we, we, we haven't seen the eagles offense like not been able to hang and yeah, they could have had a better day but like, man, they, they the fact that they couldn't even keep up with the 49ers, uh, definitely kind of scary for the rest of the NFC and the rest of the NFL heading into playoff season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you just look at their two leading receivers in this game, AJ Brown, eight receptions for 114 yards, no touchdowns, but he had 13 targets, um, which was a big bounce back game for him. I think heading into the week, he had six catches for 45 yards in the previous two weeks. So at least AJ Brown kind of gets off the "I'm not doing anything" 
ship for a week and it, nice day through the air. Uh, and then after him, Devonta Smith, nine catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. He's been running hot for three straight weeks now. Uh, this is what you want to see as far as receivers go from a fantasy perspective, but there, there just wasn't enough offense going forward to really keep them in it. They also had two uh, drives in with relatively short field goals from 39 and 26 yards in the first quarter. Ideally, those are drives that you're trying to find ways to convert into touchdown scoring opportunities. That would have totally um, changed the complexion of the game, too, because things it, do get exactly. tough for the 49ers when they're playing from behind. Yeah, it, it gets tough when you're playing from behind in your first two drives, which were otherwise a tremendous success. I'm looking at it right here, 24 plays, um, 118 yards, if I'm doing the math correctly in my head. And then to show for that, rather than have 14 points, you've got six. That gets you behind pretty early. And then the after that first quarter, when they were up 6-0, to it was just all 49ers the rest of the way. And, and from there on out, they were playing catch-up when they finally got things going. And yeah, just to put a, a fine point on it, just not Eagles football. We're, the only two games all year where Jalen Hurts has exceeded 40 attempts are now their two losses this game and to the Jets in October. So th- they just don't, they don't want to be low passing volume. But they want to be balanced. And they did not have that balance on Sunday. And they no. have to find a way to, I guess, respark that running game. Um, but Zach, uh, really good stuff. Two, I don't know, a lot, a lot of points. Yeah, I wish it seemed like a lot of bad news, though. That's the commanders. The bad news is always bad when the Eagles struggling, but really, really good stuff. Hey, and Tyra Kill had a good day as well. Five catches, 157 yards, two touchdowns, touchdowns from 78 and 60 yards, just to cap this thing off. Mr. Hill could have had 200 yards if you really wanted to. Yeah, you could, I know, man. That's another thing. I've got two in so many leagues, and they never have to do anything in the second half. It's really, really frustrating. Yeah, but it has not been a frustrating show. We have really good stuff from Danny Carter, Kyle Dvorak. Eric Samalski, Aditya Foldiore, Mr. Zach Kruger, uh, Mark Garcia had the night off. Um, just great stuff from the entire crew. It'll be great stuff from Zach all day Monday when he's blurbing. Unfortunately, a lot of injury news to keep up on this week. Zach will be doing a lot of injury updates on Monday. Lawrence Jackson's going to have a stock up, stock down article out. I'll have my Sunday aftermath out. Zach's stuff will be coming out later this week. We'll have stuff coming out later this week. That includes the podcast. So for the entire gang, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back later this week. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.